Hi there, and welcome to Even If, a weekly podcast about standing firm when life is shaking. I'm your host, Kelly Strife. Strife rhymes with wife. And together, we're finding the courage to approach uncertain and unwanted seasons of life through a posture of faith that stands firm and declares, even if he doesn't, he is still good. Guys, I've been tossing this story around in my head for a few months now, and so many of you connected with the dry sponge analogy, which just makes me laugh. I'm talking about a sponge. So many of you connected with the dry sponge analogy that I shared a couple of weeks ago that I felt like this story might be relevant and freeing for some of you right now, too. So I have a nephew. I have several nephews, nieces and nephews. Um, But my sister and brother-in-law, when they had their first child, they, as most good parents do pretty early on, when he was getting into the toddler stage, they were trying to manage some of the tantrums and physical responses and reactions to things when he didn't want something or he didn't like something. And so they were trying to teach him not to yell or scream or push or shove or hit or anything like that, that if he didn't want something, he could just use his words, right? We, we're familiar with this phrase. He could use his words. And so they taught him the phrase, no, thank you. And he was talking at a pretty young age. So he was still pretty little when they taught him to say the words, no, thank you. And it was really the cutest thing when he would start to learn the power that those words had when he didn't want to finish his food or he didn't want to go upstairs or he didn't want to go to sleep. He could just use the words, no, thank you. And since they had taught him that phrase, they really tried to honor that request whenever they could. Obviously, he was still a toddler. There were some things he didn't want to do that he just had to do. But they tried their best to honor that phrase when he used it correctly and when he used it appropriately and when he chose that route rather than something more physical or violent or reactive. But when he was young, when he was really little, He developed this allergy, and it took a while for them to figure out what it was. It was a pretty rare food allergy. And so he ended up in the hospital several times when he was young with some kind of reaction while they were still figuring out what his triggers were. And so one time he ended up in the hospital, and they were, you know, poking and prodding him and testing and drawing blood and trying to trying to make him feel better in that moment, but also trying to figure out what what the problem was, what was really going on. And so they kind of they weren't leaving him alone. And obviously he didn't like it. None of us would like it, but especially as a as a, as a baby, as a toddler. And so he was reacting the way you would expect him to. He was crying and screaming and squirming and writhing and throwing himself around and trying to get people to stop, trying to get people to leave him alone, trying to communicate through his body and through his tears and through his sounds that he didn't want it, that it hurt, that he wanted the pain to stop. But the most kind of sad, heartbreaking moment came when he paused in his cries, he paused in his tears, he paused in his screams, and he looked up with these big, wide eyes at my sister and brother-in-law, and he just said, no, thank you. And you could see his wheels turning. That's what struck me the most, that 
that you could see the gears working overtime in his brain to try to figure out a solution, to connect the dots and to, to give his parents what they had asked for. He knew he wanted the pain to stop. And at some point he realized that his physical response wasn't helping. It wasn't making it go away. It wasn't doing any good. And so he pulled out the magic words. Even in that moment, he was able to call those words to mind. He said, no, thank you. And that still didn't make it stop. Guys, suffering is hard and it's painful. And most of us are a lot like my nephew. We're fighting against it with everything we have. We're doing mental gymnastics, trying to think our way into a different outcome. Physically, our body is struggling against the pain. We Maybe we have a hard time sleeping, or maybe food doesn't interest you, or Maybe you're on medication trying to minimize the pain that you're feeling. I took an anti-anxiety pill every night for a month after Imogen was born because it helped me to sleep. And I didn't want to find out whether or not I needed it. I didn't know if I could sleep on my own or not, but I didn't want to find that out at 4 a.m. that I needed to have taken it. So I just took it every night for a month. Emotionally, we're a minefield, never sure when we might laugh or cry, but knowing that at any moment we could completely explode. You know this pain. You know this confusion. You know this feeling of betrayal. I was talking to somebody just this week who used that word betrayal. They said, I feel like my best friend, talking about God, I feel like my best friend betrayed me. And I know that feeling. You know that feeling. You've wrestled and you've yelled and fought and screamed and tantrumed and cursed and shouted and thrown things and wept and we've bargained and repented and acknowledged and begged and pleaded and we've offered anything we have access to just to make the pain go away, to make it stop, to please get a different outcome. And no thank you is the last resort. We've been there. It's painful and pitiful No thank you feels like defeat and it smells like desperation. It's that last ditch effort that if there's any way this suffering is caused by you or could be ended by you, you're giving it your very best shot. And it's the final idea that pops into your head. You felt this way we all have. If I could just figure out the magic words, if I could just get this right, if I could just find the right angle or the right approach, then maybe this would end. And for us, for me, I felt this pressure early on that if I could just endure this suffering well, if I could just learn whatever I was supposed to learn or or use this situation and this story in whatever way God wanted me to, then even though it wouldn't change what had already happened, maybe it would ensure that it wouldn't happen again. I felt like I had to get this right to have any chance at a future that I was still longing and hoping for. But You hear the problem with that line of thinking. Sometimes it's easier to hear it in someone else than it is in ourselves. And so maybe you're just hearing it for the first time. The problem is that this line of thinking assumes that this all depends on you. That God is either saying you got yourself into this, so you get yourself out of it, or that he's some kind of genie just waiting to hear the magic words. And yeah, sometimes our pain is caused by our own sin. Sometimes it's a consequence of our own actions, but most of the time, it's the result of a fallen world. It's the result of a world that's not as it should be, that's broken and imperfect and flawed. And we see this world through eyes that can grasp the temporary far more easily than we can grasp the eternal. 
And we just want the pain to stop through that filter. But can I tell you what my sister and brother-in-law did? You, you could probably guess. They didn't pull out the needles. They didn't take him home immediately. They knew that wouldn't actually get rid of the pain after all. They didn't step in and tell the doctors to stop and back away and leave him alone. They didn't intervene. They weren't waiting for him to demonstrate what he'd learned or crack the code that everybody else already knew. No, they pulled him closer. They held him tighter. They stopped trying to calm his body, and they certainly, they certainly were not asking him to use his words. They simply stayed where they were. They took his blows, they wiped his eyes, and they waited it out with him. There isn't a magic formula that's going to make this pain go away. And feeling the pressure to get it right or the responsibility to make it stop actually adds more pain to our already heavy suffering. Paul David Tripp says, You never just suffer the thing that you're suffering, but you always also suffer the way that you're suffering that thing. <laughs> Let me say that again. That's a mouthful. You never just suffer the thing that you're suffering, but you always also suffer the way that you're suffering that thing. I'll put it in my show notes so you can look up the quote there too. When we rush to find the fix, the out, the eject button, when we rush to solve this in our own strength, we miss the presence of God in our weakness. And in most cases, you didn't you cause your way into this. But in all cases, you're not responsible for working your way out of it, and you can't endure it on your own. Let me ask you this. Do you know that it's okay to be weak? Do you know that it's okay to be needy? Do you know that we encounter more of God's nature in our weakness than we ever could in our strength? My hope for you today is that you can give your brain a break, that you can rest from figuring out the right way to grieve or the secret to making it stop, that you can relieve yourself of the responsibility to figure it out on your own or prove that you've learned your lesson so that God can move on already, that you can wrestle when you need to, you can yell when it hurts, you can squirm when it's itchy and you can cry out when you're afraid, but don't mistake his inaction for insensitivity or think that he's holding you down when he's holding your hand. Instead, receive God's presence while he waits it out with you. And sometimes the wait is long. Sometimes suffering isn't a layover we fly through quickly. Sometimes it's the whole extended trip. But I've been thinking back a lot to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because this is the, the story that this podcast is based on, the moment that they're thrown into the fire, the moment when they declare to the king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up, Daniel chapter three. And I've always focused on the fact that Yes, they had this even if faith, but God did. God indeed delivered them from the fire. And I've kind of felt a little bit like their even if didn't actually have to be lived out. It was still a noble declaration for sure, but not quite as difficult as living it out the way I've had to, the way you've had to. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that because 
There's more to the story here that I've kind of overlooked. Yes, God delivered them from the fire, but they still had to walk through it. They were thrown into the furnace. They still saw the size of the flames. They saw the other people that were burned up just because they got too close. They knew how hot that fire was. They still had their arms bound, their feet tied up, and they were at the mercy of the hands that tossed them into the blaze. God didn't deliver them from it. He delivered them through it. And when King Nebuchadnezzar looked closely, do you know what he saw? You know what he saw. He saw someone else in the fire with them. He saw the physical representation of God right there in the fire with them. They were not alone, not for one moment were they on their own. It was in the moments of their deepest fear, their deepest pain, their deepest need that God revealed himself the most tangibly in their lives. And he's doing the same for me and for you. If I'm honest, I probably wouldn't have chosen to know that facet of who God is on my own. I probably wouldn't have chosen to know his presence in this dark, hard season. But the truth is, I know mysteries of God that some people will never know. I've allowed him to be present in my life in ways I never really felt like I needed to before. I am more aware of my need for him than ever and I've allowed him to meet it. There's something really freeing about acknowledging my weakness and my frailty and then receiving his strength and his support. And if nothing else, these last few months have certainly ridded me of any misguided belief that I could handle this on my own or that I could work this out for myself. So use your words. Use your groans, use your bodies and your minds and your cries, but use them to release your own competency and to receive the sufficiency of God in your suffering and wait. Guys, next week is a really big week. It's Imogen's birthday week. It's the week leading up to her first birthday. And uh, I've got a lot of really fun bonus episodes coming here on the podcast. So if you have not subscribed wherever you listen, make sure you hit that subscribe button because there will be episodes released on other days besides Tuesday next week. And I have a lot of giveaways that are happening over on Instagram. So make sure you're following me there at kelly.strife. These are like the good giveaways, guys. This is the good stuff. So make sure you're following me there so you don't miss out. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of Even If. My prayer is that even if your knees are weak, today's episode offers you enough strength to keep standing firm. See you back here next week for the next episode of Even If.